Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In this next part of our special series with Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House, we tackle myth number three and four, how decoupling and stopping Chinese theft of Western technology is the key when it comes to the China threat. It seems right now there's a lot of talk about strategic decoupling, right? Like given the terms we've just heard with this, like the, the, I don't know, silver bullet if you want to call it. But when it comes to that, given the examples you've put, it seems the Chinese regime has already cornered all of the technologies it needs. So even if it's giving us some of the manufacturing back, it still has the technology that we need. So given where we are now, where do we go from here? How do we make sure we get that technology back or we get the next ones that we need? The only way to counter a technology strategy is with a more effective technology strategy. I mean, it's 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 simple as that. I mean, it's it's like take the military analogy. You know, the adversary's got this very effective military strategy. They know how they're going to use their bombers, their fighters, the guys on the grounds, the infantry, the artillery, marines, the whole ball of wax are all orchestrated to work in a certain fashion. On our side, we say, you know what, just go over there and see if you can disrupt them a little bit and tend your guys over and kill a couple guys. How effective are we going to be? Not at all. So the only way to counter a strategy is with a more effective strategy. So when we talk about decoupling, if we look at decoupling, that's, that's one of the big examples these days, ways we're going to solve the problem. But what people don't realize is when China has had, what, three, generation, three, uh, three decades? So for three decades, they were considered an up-and-coming country. Okay. We gave them free hand. Uh, we were told that the more we encourage them, the quicker they'll become a democratic country. Uh, freedom, all the stuff that we, that we accept in the United States, Western Europe, and things like that. So they've had three decades to establish all the paths, both direct and indirect, that they need to acquire the technology they require. Okay. So as a result of three decades, they have got paths throughout just about every country, most of the major corporations, uh, things like consulting companies, they've got people who are employed in there. So if you have a consulting come in to GM or whatever, you've got a, you've got a Chinese rep in there. Okay? So all these paths have been established throughout the world. And the path's function is to acquire technology, acquire other resources, and to generate influence where required on things like legislation and Congress. So those paths are very direct, they're indirect, and what I mean by indirect, that path to influence the United States, for example, is going from China to France and from France into the United States. So it may be that they've got a path into a French company who is now going to be working in the United States and it can acquire the technology or it can put influence or whatever. Okay? So it's a mosaic of direct and indirect paths, many of them which are highly duplicative in the sense of if they want to get into a GM, that's just not going to be two guys they place there. There are going to be multiple people placed throughout the corporation. 
with the objective if one path is not successful in acquiring the technology or the other resources are generating the influence, they just have another path for it. Okay. So now people walk in and say, let's decouple. Nice. How are we going to do that? When we know a very small percentage of the paths, they have duplicates, there is indirect paths. Because when you look at this idea of decoupling, all they're looking at is just severing the obvious easy paths that everybody sees. Or to put it another way, China has had three decades to put all the paths in. Because China knows there's no way that they didn't know at some point in time they would be, we would determine that they're no longer the ally that we expected they were, that they were not on the track to become a superpower or become a democracy fest, a democracy and free market. At some point, they knew we were going to go, whoops, it's not happening the way we expected. At that point, we got to start changing how we address China. They've known that for three decades, so they've been prepping for this day. And they've also been prepping for the day that we would decouple. So, now, what do we do? Well, here's where the fun becomes. We know that their means of exploiting those paths are dictated by their technology strategy. Okay? So, the national technology strategy of China, which then ripples down to the other organizations, is what dictates they exploit all these paths. Okay? So, in order to counter the paths, we need a technology strategy such that we can outmaneuver them. Envision it this way. We both have are maneuvering in the same sets of tunnels. They're trying to get through, we're trying to block them. Okay. Now, here's what we did in the Socrates project. China executes their technology strategy, developing it and executing it as a trial and error art. So the connection between their action and the results, their action in the exploitation of the technology and the results it provides is only known in very, very deep, very vague details. Because it's an art. That's the definition of an art. But in Socrates, we transformed the exploitation of technology from a trial and error art into a concrete science. As a result, the connection between an action like the exploitation of a of a, one of those paths and the resulting competitive advantage, we know in concrete, very precise, accurate detail. Therefore, we can exploit technology with unprecedented speed, efficiency, and agility. Okay, so I'll give you an analogy. Here's all these paths going around the world. Okay, and they are true paths in the sense of this guy works for somebody in the Chinese government who was placed in General Motors in order to acquire and un undermine a certain portion of GM. Okay, that's a path. But they're, they've put these paths together as an art. So there's, you know, it's, it's very fuzzy. The means to exploit them are fuzzy because they're like, well, if we get this technology, we think it's going to give a competitive advantage, but we don't know. And we're not, we're also fuzzy on which Technology is going to be the best, okay? So they're sort of fumbling through these paths, which are tremendous, this mosaic. But yet we, because we can do it as the exploitation of technology as a science, we know where all the paths are. We know what competitive advantage they will get from this particular technology. How long that competitive advantage is going to, is going to last 
and what's required to counter it. So now all of a sudden we can maneuver in those paths in ways that they can't even imagine. Because now we can maneuver in those paths, we can understand, we can identify the paths, we can understand their impacts, and we can maneuver them with unprecedented speed, efficiency, and agility. So all of a sudden, instead of trying to just, you know, chop off, uh, decouple by just chopping off the obvious ones, leaving 90% of them in, in place, or trying to destroy all of them, which is tremendously impossible, okay, now we can outmaneuver them in the paths because we have speed, efficiency, and agility that is far beyond what they can match. That was Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House. And after the break, we continue our special coverage with him. We move into the fourth myth that crops up when it comes to the China threat, stopping Chinese theft of Western technology. The idea that Western and especially U.S. technology acquired via Chinese theft is critical to China's strength, and that if we stop the theft, we cripple China. But is that all there is to it? That and more in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our special coverage with Michael Sikora. We move into the fourth myth that crops up when it comes to the China threat, stopping Chinese theft of Western technology. The idea that Western and especially U.S. technology acquired via Chinese theft is critical to China's strength, and that if we stop the theft, we cripple China. But is that all there is to it? Right now, we have none. Right now, it's all finance-based. When it comes to countering China's technology or acquisition of technology, we literally, th there's a couple factors, problems here. First of all, we're playing whack-a-mole, my favorite description of it. Okay? It's because we have no idea what they're going to acquire. We have no idea the impact. We have no idea what competitive advantage it's going to generate for them relative to us. So we basically just wait for them to, to do something. If you look at the FBI and some of the other federal agencies, when it comes to stopping the flow of technology to the West, they do two things. They go out and educate companies and say, China's going to steal your technology. And then number two, they go in and they say, basically, if you see, because now they've educated them on the, what's going to happen, then they educate them on what sort of things to look for. So if you see a guy late at night downloading a lot of data, especially from areas that he's not responsible for, that might be a key. There's a problem there. Okay. And then once they get alerted to something that... Uh, China has done, there's somebody in a company, and then they rush in there and try to arrest him and then prosecute before he gets out of town. Okay. That's whack-a-mole. they got multiple paths, they got multiple people, direct and indirect. So we're just sitting there playing whack-a-mole, okay, which is the first part. 
So there, the odds that we're actually going to stop it is, is very, very slight. Okay? But then there's another problem. When we talk about acquisition of U.S. technology, which is just one small portion of China's national technology strategy, what we call illegal, many times it's not. What we call immoral is not immoral by Chinese standards and philosophy. Okay. So there is, when we actually look at theft of technology, it is significant, but it's only a small portion of all the ways that we lose technology. I did an interview for, I think it was U.S. News and World Report a couple of years ago, about theft of U.S. technology. And the quote that came out of me is, we give away more technology than they actually steal because their acquisition maneuvers cover the, cover the gamut from, you know, licensing, um, forced, forced transfer in China, you go to work in China, law says you got to transfer the technology, to gray market, to third country, to a borderline theft. Oh, I didn't know it was, it was important when I walked out the door with it, to out and out stealing. That's the range. Okay, theft is up here. Okay, but all of this is done in an orchestrated fashion, in a very fluid, orchestrated fashion. Okay, so the point is, is if all we do is spend all this time trying to stop this, by America's standards, we're going to do something good because that's most, in most cases, that's the most critical stuff. The critical stuff is the only thing that generates a competitive advantage. In reality, all this does. So their national technology strategy is orchestrating all this acquisition from perfectly legal to highly illegal in a unified way such that that is what we have to counter. And you can look at it from the perspective, or from China's perspective, and we need to do it from our perspective, it's a matter of cost and impact. So even if we block China from acquiring this technology in the United States because it's, quote, a critical technology, they might get it from France. They can't get it from France because stealing it, you know, costs them very little money. Getting it from France, well, they're a little more tougher, so it'll cost a little more money. And if, if either of those fail, guess what? We'll just do indigenous R&D. That's three times the price, four times the price, but we'll still get it. That may slow down China's uh, achieving its objective by six weeks or whatever, and it might up the budget by a million dollars, but they'll still get, still get there. So the only way, and this acquisition of technology then drives and then supports the utilization of technology, okay, which the utilization of technology, all those maneuvers then generate the competitive advantage. So the point is, all those work in a very coordinated fashion, and all we're doing is playing whack-a-mole on this little bit here of the acquisition. The only way to counter all three and everything that they're comprised of is by looking at what drives all of that. It's their national technology strategy. Otherwise, we're in an endless game of whack-a-mole. So when we look at the CHIPS Act, we look at new legislation on stopping the theft of technology, when we look at stomping our feet and saying, no, 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 don't steal our technology, and we're going to put more laws in place. It's whack-a-mole on different aspects. The only way to truly address it is with the technology strategy of the United States. 
Now, part of the point to really understand this is we as Americans are very rigid, very, um, you know, if you look at what they define as a, well, it's come out a couple times in, uh, in Washington. They come up with a technology strategy and it consists of a shopping list of these are the technologies we're going to put our money. It's finance-based. It's not a technology. It's not a strategy. It is a shopping list of technologies to put money into. Then you look at China's national technology strategy. It's fluid. It's dynamic. It's maneuvering. Such that if we block this acquisition, well, they'll just go over here and get it here. And if we block that, well, they may go to indigenous development, which doubles the price and takes six more months. It hasn't stopped them. FBI may get a lot of good press out of that, and Congress may stand on that and say, look, we're winning the battle. China just maneuvers around it. It's all a game of maneuvering throughout all of technology space, which is acquisition, utilization, and development, high-tech to low-tech to no-tech to hard science, or hard technology and soft technology, the whole ball of wax. Because to achieve their objective, they have to not just be the leaders in high tech, they have to be effectively exploiting the full range of technologies which satisfies the full range of customers' needs for society. Sticking with the CHIPS Act for a while, how would a successful CHIPS Act look like instead of just more spending? How would we make sure that we're actually moving in the right direction? The only way to counter a technology strategy is with a more effective technology strategy. Okay? So just because we, we address the China technology threat, and NATO addresses it the same way, as an R&D foot race. Where all we've got to do, well, they, they, they vision the competition like this, let me put it this way. The, they think the way to compete is as follows. You come up with your objectives. Once you have your objectives, you go into the laboratory. And then once you go into the laboratory, the only objective is to get the breakthrough first. And in the case of China, well, we're both, because we both know what is most important for the future, AI, quantum, bio, things like that, Therefore, both of us are going to be doing a R&D foot race where we have identify our targets. They're the same targets because those are the things that are going to define the future. And then what we do is we on our side are going to pour a lot of money into R&D to get the breakthrough first, and we know that's what China is going to do. And whoever gets the breakthrough first wins. Okay. Actually, that's not what China is doing. What China is doing, like we said, is, is executing a very, very adroit game of technology exploitation chess, where they are maneuvering in all technology worldwide, both offensively and defensively, to generate a competitive advantage. Now, it takes funds to do that, and internal R&D is a part of that technology strategy, but it is maneuvering in the technology, not just pouring more money in it and doing it in an R&D foot race. The last words is, we are in a war, okay? All wars are not military. But, I mean, one of the ways to look at this is, we've been in a war with China for about 30 years, 
It has been in, it's all in the technology space. We've lost it up here. It's a chance it will go hot. And other aspects of that war are coming out in the social media, in the economics. So, you know, as in various competitive environments, it's now going hot, if you will, with the final one maybe going hot in a military war. But the entire war has been for 30 years. But it is one we can, we can win. There's no question about it. That was Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House. Be sure to tune in next week for the next part in this special series, where we'll tackle whether the U.S. and Western countries must have an industrial policy and whether that infringes upon our freedom. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.